Welcome back to the Carnivore Yogi Podcast. Today's episode is just me talking. It is, I think, the only solo episode I've ever done for this podcast, which is crazy because in January it will have been two years. So if you've been sticking around or if you're new, thank you for being here. Thanks for listening to the podcast. This has truly been a labor of love to bring this podcast about. And the reason I did it is that I really was afraid of censorship on YouTube and Instagram and all the other social media outlets. And I wanted a a place, a platform that I could kind of speak a little bit more freely. I could bring on more guests and have episodes that I, I basically put on the audio only that I don't necessarily put on YouTube haven't done a ton of that, but I will be in the next coming weeks here. So this episode, I'm going to talk to you about my birth story. It is Monday, October 10th as the day that I'm recording this. I'm probably going to put this episode out on Friday the 15th, but it has been a lot of work to get to this place of having the baby, being in this spot. And I have a a lot of really great content recorded pre-recorded for you guys so that I can continue putting out episodes every single week even while I'm taking a little bit of maternity leave. So this episode probably won't be super long. I may get interrupted by a little newborn crying. He is just the most wonderful baby. I swear I'm enjoying this experience so much being a second time parent now at the age of 43. Not anything I had really planned on but It's so much different now in your 40s um, having a baby than it it was in your 20s and just kind of the way that you view things, the amount of anxiety that you have, I think is less over certain things, um, more over certain things. But overall, it's it's a lot more of a pleasant experience, I think, and, and, you know, any other second time parents out there can can talk about this as well. But um, I'll dive into that a little bit more later. Uh, But I just want to let you guys know I've got a lot of great episodes recorded. I have Dr. Tom Cowan. I have got so many great episodes and I'm going to be putting out some some content here just on audio only that will not go on YouTube either at the discretion of myself because I think that the topics we're talking about are a little too controversial for a platform like YouTube and I don't want to risk losing my whole channel. And then I've got some other topics that I just, I've had a guest that says, oh, I don't necessarily want to be on YouTube. She's really into kind of keeping privacy. We're going to talk a lot about internet and privacy on that episode. And so this is just to let you guys know that I will be releasing some exclusive content here on the podcast in the next few weeks that won't be going on any other platform. So I appreciate you for being here. And another quick little announcement before I start talking about this whole birth story thing, I am going to be switching my brand name to Sarah Kleiner Wellness in the next few weeks here. The only reason I have not done that entirely is because I cannot figure out for the life of me what I want to call this podcast. Obviously, if I'm going to switch my brand and just begin to call it Sarah Kleiner Wellness, then the podcast name has to shift also. So I am open to suggestions. If you want to shoot me a message over on Instagram or shoot me an email, if you have a great idea, I like the idea of including the word wellness in the title, but I don't know. I'm open to suggestions and ideas. For a second there, I was thinking the Hitchhiker's Guide to Wellness would be a fun one, but then I was like, ugh, I'm going to lose a lot of people. A lot of people probably don't even know the reference of that title. So I'm still working on titles, but 
before, you know, I just make the switch, I kind of wanted to let you guys know that it's coming probably before the end of the year or sooner if I can figure out a name for this podcast. So again, I appreciate you for being here, for supporting the show, for leaving all those amazing reviews and just helping me along in this journey. It's been amazing to have you guys along as well. So let's just go ahead and talk about this whole birth story thing. So I gave birth to my daughter at 39 weeks and two days, I remember. So I was kind of had the suspicion that he would come before that 40-week mark. Um, I have been with a midwife practice that also has OBs. And so it's been a very interesting experience because I have the midwives who are very low intervention and they understand all my requests, but then there are the OBs that kind of come in and (laughs) want more interventions and kind of push me to do more things. And then I have the midwives that say, oh, you can say no to that. So, you know, being that I am 43, I was considered high risk, but again, I chose this practice because I knew that they were not going to try to put unnecessary interventions on me. I had started my pregnancy out with a purely OB practice that delivered at a big hospital that was close to my home, and every time I was going, they wanted to do ultrasounds. They wanted to just do a lot of stuff that I felt was unnecessary. I wanted to avoid doing a lot of ultrasounds during the pregnancy just because I know that... Um, There are some ultrasounds that help, you know, the 20 week anatomy scan, I think is extremely helpful, but unless a woman has some sort of other risk factor, I just don't think that doing an ultrasound every single appointment is healthy for the baby. Um, Chris Kresser, if you want to go research this, has a really good article on his website about ultrasounds not necessarily being safe in pregnancy, especially the, the amount of them that we give. Um, So I had really done research on that. So the practice that I was with uh, was getting to that point where anytime I was going and I was having to go a little bit more because it's the end of the pregnancy, the OBs that would see me would start talking about induction. You know, we don't want you to get to 40 weeks. We don't want you to go past 40 weeks. They were pressuring me to do things like a membrane sweep, which I was not okay with. Um, Side note, I hired a doula team that has been, they were with a couple of my friends that I trust and my friends have views similar to mine where we really want to have low intervention, you know, pregnancies, low intervention births, low intervention raising our children. That is, you know, the way that we want to do things. And so the doula team that I hired, they're in alignment with that viewpoint. And so they were so valuable. Their names are Melissa and Stephanie, the Atlanta doulas, if you're here in Atlanta and need them. They are amazing because they really were guiding me through a lot of the pregnancy. I, you know, have a doctor say, well, this is, you know, something we need to look at. And I'd text the doulas and say, you know, they're making me a little nervous about this. And they're like, no, that's not, not necessarily true. Um, So the membrane sweep was something I'd been getting pressure to do uh, since week 38. And I just was not going to do it. Um, Number one, it may not actually induce labor. Number two, I don't think that it's necessary to induce labor. I think you should, you know, unless you're super high risk, you've got a lot of other stuff going on. Um, there are there are times when it does need to happen, but I did not fit into that category. So the practice I was with, you know, again, anytime I'd see a midwife, they were super cool, like, you know, you can say no if the OB says to do this, but then anytime I'd see an OB, they were really just pressuring me to start looking at options for induction. 
So I had gone to the doctor this past week on Tuesday, so not even a week ago. Um, and that was, so today's the 10th, uh, tomorrow's the 11th. I'm just trying to go back to dates. So Tuesday the 4th is when I actually went to that doctor's appointment. And, you know, my husband came with me because I told him I, and they're going to start pressuring me. And uh, they they did. They said, you know, you're 39 weeks and, you know, four days or whatever. Let's start getting on the calendar, an induction date, talk about getting Pitocin, blah, blah, blah. And I just, I said, look, if I get to um, October the 11th, which is tomorrow, so obviously that didn't happen, then we can talk about that. You know, so I really was having to stand my ground. No membrane sweeps, no... Um, you know, Pitocin, because I had actually had Pitocin with my daughter. I made the mistake with my daughter of going to the hospital too soon. You know, first time mom, <laughs> you're all excited. I was 28, so excited. First time mom having contractions five minutes apart and get to the hospital and my labor basically stopped. Um, and I, I, I know this happens a lot with people and they'll send you home. And so they actually gave me the option. They said, well, you can go home or you can get Pitocin and we can just try to get your labor going again. And, um, you know, not doing my research on anything at that time, I thought that's a, that's a great idea. Let's just, I'm already here. You know, I want to have the baby today. Let's just do it. And so I think I actually got lucky considering some of the horror stories that I've had friends that have gotten Pitocin before. Um, I think I actually got pretty lucky because, um, they gave me the Pitocin drip at 3 p.m. for my daughter, and she was born at 6 p.m. So it was very fast, but those contractions were horrible, like horrible, and they didn't have time to get me an epidural because I was, you know, I had gone into it with my daughter saying, I don't want to get an epidural, blah, blah, blah. Well, those Pitocin contractions started, and I was ready for the epidural. Unfortunately, the hospital I had gone to had one anesthesiologist, and he had been pulled off the floor for a car accident, and so... Um, the needless to say, when the anesthesiologist got there, I was nine and a half centimeters dilated with my daughter and there was just no way I was going to be able to be still for an epidural, nor would it have had time to actually take, uh, effect. So I was able to, uh, deliver my daughter without an epidural. We did have the Pitocin, but having had that experience getting pressure from, these OBs at the practice I was at, I was like, I, I know that's kind of a hard no for me. Like, I don't want to do that because I remember how intense those contractions were. And I'll touch on that, the difference between a natural contra contraction and a Pitocin contraction in a little bit. But so this was Tuesday, got the pressure and basically said no. I called my friend Heather Shepard, um, who was on the podcast recently. She's a homeopath, a uh, homeopathic specialist. Because um, I started Googling like homeopathic, you know, remedies to induce labor. I had found this one particular remedy. I had the remedy here already. And I said, Heather, you know, should I, should I start taking these, um, this homeopathic remedy just to, to get labor started? And she was like, Sarah, do you not trust your body? Like she, <laughs> she kind of gave me this little pep talk and I had texted my doulas also and was talking with them. This was the night before. So this was Tuesday night. And I was just kind of in this panic of like, I'm getting all this pressure and it was, it was like pre-labor stuff, you know, like I think my body was, was prepping for labor. Um, and my, my brain was like trying to figure out like, how can I, you know, I was just trying to wrap my head around the whole thing. 
So <laughs> Heather talked me back down to earth. The doulas talked me back down to earth. They're like, look, if we get to the 11th, um, we can, you know, talk about some different options for you, but it, just don't stress about it. Don't worry about it. And Heather, same thing. She's like, look, your body knows what to do. You have trusted your body through this pregnancy. You have stood your ground to stay as natural as possible through the pregnancy. Your baby is healthy. You're healthy. You don't need to take any remedies. Um, you really don't. Um, this is going to happen for you. And so I'm so grateful for the people that are in my life on this like personal one-to-one. I have a lot of guests on my podcast that I get to talk to, you know, expose you guys to. But what you don't see is behind the scenes. A lot of the people that I have had on the podcast have become good personal friends that I have relationships with that um, can do things like that, that Heather really counseled me the night before <laughs> the birth. It was like, cool your jets, mom. Um, so Wednesday, I woke up at around 4.30 and I was thinking, is this a contraction? I'm not really sure if this is a contraction, I, you know, because it's it's been 15 years, guys, <laughs> since I had an actual contraction. Um, I, I felt like it was a pretty bad cramp. So I said, you know what, let me, let me just see if it happens again. It happened again about 20 minutes later. Um, then it happened again about 20 minutes later. So they were happening at like 20 minutes apart. And I'm thinking, okay, I think these are contractions. I'm going to go ahead and download the, this, um, my doulas had told me about this contraction timer app. Um, let me download this and start kind of timing these contractions. Well, they were coming every 20 minutes, then they jumped to every, you know, 15 minutes, then it was 10 minutes. Um, you know, I'm gradually, they're getting stronger. Um, nothing like the Pitocin contractions at all. They feel, you know, like a natural, okay, this is, doesn't feel like a walk in the park, but I think I know what this is, this is happening. This is labor. Um, so I was texting with my doulas, telling, you know, keeping them updated. And, you know, then it was like, let's say 7:30 and my husband and I are like okay I think I think this is this is happening quicker they jumped to 7 minutes apart then they jumped quickly from 7 minutes to about 4 minutes apart and that's when I called my midwife and said I you know I think I need to head up to the hospital and I had you know we still hadn't dropped her, my daughter off for school that she has an 8:30 drop off time but I was starting to think okay we got to go because the facility that I chose so along with choosing kind of a more holistic provider, even though they're the OBs in there, <laughs> God bless them. Um, they are, they deliver at a facility that's like probably about 45 minutes or so from my house. Um, like I said, I have a lot of big hospitals near me, a lot of OBs near me, a lot of these practices. Um, however, I just was not open to delivering in a facility like that. And truth be told, I wanted to really just have a home birth. But my husband was not okay with it. And I know I've, I've mentioned this before on Instagram and people are like, it's your birth, it's your body, blah, blah, blah. Do, if your husband doesn't um, want a home birth, that's too bad. It's, it's your choice. And, you know, I can kind of understand where people are coming from with that. But that's just not the way that the relationship with my husband works at all. It's a partnership. We've been together for 20 years. We have raised a child, my daughter, Alexis, with very significant special needs, and we've made it work. Um, it's not been easy, but I, we have a partnership, and I respect the hell out of my husband. I love my husband. I don't talk about him very much on the show, obviously, because he's a pretty private person, and he doesn't want to be on my social media. <laughs> he doesn't want to be 
in my stories. And that's cool. That's fine. He is there supporting me. So when it was coming down to the birth, this was our compromise. I'm choosing a practice that allows um, me to deliver in a facility that allows water birth because I really wanted a water birth. They are okay with low intervention birth. You know, they're not going to try to push a bunch of things on you. And uh, they're okay with a lot of things that the bigger hospitals are not okay with, which I'll talk about as we go. But the caveat to that, again, is it's, it's, not, um, it's not a hop, skip, and a jump, and away. It, it's, it was a, a drive. And we were in rush hour. So, you know, about 7.30, I realized I got to get to the hospital. Um, these, are, these are coming closer. They're coming more intense. Um, and so we, you know, try to stall as much as we can. We got to the school, my daughter's school at like 8.15. And luckily there was somebody there to take her. My husband just kind of ran <laughs> to the back of the building was like, um, my wife is in labor. So can you, can you please, please, please just take Alexis, my daughter. And so they did, they took her and we started the trek to the hospital. So like 8.15, we were in rush hour traffic. Um, we didn't get to the hospital until about 10 minutes after nine. And needless to say, I was a little worried. Um, when we finally got off the highway, cause you have to go through, um, two highways to get to this facility here in Atlanta. There's one, which is 285, I-285. If you live in Atlanta, you know, I-285 is a nightmare, especially certain times of the day. So we were in the middle of like nightmare time on 285. I'm in pretty heart like contractions every three minutes lasting anywhere from a minute to a minute and a half pretty intense um, <laughs> and we're on 285 then we get to interstate 400 you know moving a little bit better but then when, once you get off of 400 you have the side streets to reckon with so we're, we're on the side streets um, probably in the, the GPS is just stuck at 10 minutes just saying you know you're, you're going you're you're sitting through you know traffic you're going through traffic and the gps keeps saying 10 minutes and it's not it's not changing it's not going back and so i had a little moment of panic because i also at that point kind of felt the baby just drop into my hips um you know they say with your second child the baby doesn't drop until you know right you know right when you're in labor before you're in labor um he was pretty high up, but I, I remember distinctly being stuck behind, uh, our public transportation system here is called MARTA, stuck behind a MARTA bus and feeling this baby just drop into my hips. And I'm like, I don't know if we're going to make it to the hospital. Like that was the thought I'm having. Like I might just be having this baby in the car. Um, so luckily we did get there. Um, my husband, my husband, I still remember we got to the, the little call box cause it's a very small little facility. He gets to the call box and he's like, um, we're in labor. So, uh, what do we do? And they're like, just leave your car there. We're like in the emergency lane. They're like, just leave your car in the emergency lane. It's fine. Just bring her in. Um, they got me in, I walk in and they're like, I think the nurses saw my face and they're like, okay, mom, uh, tell us what's going on. I'm like, I'm going to have a baby like really soon. They're like, is this your first or your second? Or, you know, what baby is? I'm like, this is my second. And so I think they take you a little more seriously when it's your second time in labor. You're like, I, I kind of know what this is. Um, so they were like, okay, okay, get And I think they could see on my face that I was pretty much in transition at that point. And so they had a wheelchair, just got me in there. My doula was like 20 minutes behind. So I didn't know if she was even going to get there for the birth. Um, 
they wheeled me <laughs> into a room and I was like, I want a water birth. You know, I had my birth plan printed out. Like I had a lot of stuff that I specified. I did not want any IVs. I did not want a Heplock. I did not want uh, Pitocin to help get the placenta out. I did not, you know, I had like, I didn't want the baby to get a bath. Um, I didn't want the antibiotic ointment, you know, didn't want the vaccines, any of that stuff. So I had like a pretty extensive list that my doulas actually helped me put together handed it to the midwife um, and the staff and handed them my water birth certificate because you have to go through a water birth class to be able to do the water birth. And um, they said, okay, all right. They, they read all my, my demands. I said, I want to leave within 24 hours. Um, you know, I had all these demands in my, I don't, I don't want to call them demands. This is the way I wanted to do my birth. And they, the midwife said, yeah, we can do this. Okay. I don't have a problem with any of this. This is great. You're good. Okay. Um, the only problem was for me to get into the water and do a water birth, I was going to have to be on the monitor where they monitor the baby's heart rate for uh, 30 minutes. And I'm thinking, and it takes about 45 minutes to fill up that big tub with water. I kind of knew when I got there that the water birth was not going to happen because we got there probably like 910, you know, somewhere around there. Baby was born at 958. <laughs> so I kind of knew I'm like, I, I kind of have a feeling I'm not going to get a water birth. Um, I did. A, I didn't do any cervical checks throughout my whole pregnancy. They had started pushing those on me and I said, no, I don't want to do those. Um, so I don't know if I had been dilated before labor started. Have no idea. Um, doesn't really matter from what I understand from people telling me. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're two centimeters dilated. You could be that way for two weeks. So don't, don't stress yourself out. Um, but I did allow them to do a cervical check uh, when I got there. And I was nine centimeters when I had gotten finally into the birthing room. And so I knew at that point that he would be here very soon, like very soon since, and I, I was like, wow. So you mean to tell me I did most of my labor in Atlanta rush hour traffic? <laughs> I still find this pretty hilarious. Um, and yeah, here we are. So I was on the bed and I brought my own hospital gown. I wanted to wear my own gown, didn't want to wear theirs. Uh, they had me on my back, which I did not want to be on my back, um, for labor. That was another thing in my birth plan. I'm like, I don't want to be on my back. I don't really know what position I want to be in, but I know that's not the one. Um, my doula came in finally, and she's like, let's get her in a different position. I actually did hands and knees, um, which was great in some regards. In another regard, it was kind of like, it was just, this is the whole thing was just this out of body experience. Um, but I started feeling like, you know, the, that he was coming. And so we got into position. Um, and like I said, he was out very quickly. He was out head first. He, he had his hand stuck to his face. He has a thing with his hand. <laughs> now that he's, he's out, um, he doesn't like to be his hand to be wrapped up. He has to like have his hand by his face. So I think he, he had a thing with his hand and at the 20 week ultras, ultrasound, um, we had seen the hand in the mouth, um, already like very early. So I think he has a little thing with his hand. Um, but yeah, it was, I had, a, a first degree tear. That was it. Very minimal. They were basically like, look, we could repair this, but it's probably going to do more damage to repair it than just to leave it alone. So we did. I was able to do delayed cord clamping, which was really important to me. Um, the cords stopped pulsing, 
Um, so it, this is delayed cord clamping. Some people will say we're going to give it a certain amount of time. I wanted to do it until the cord started clamp to, till this cord stopped pulsing. Um, we, we got to about, I think eight to 10 minutes. It was around that point, And he was starting to get really cold because he was down on my stomach. And I know some people say you could pull the cord up a little bit more. At that point, I was just so grateful that we were able to do delayed cord clamping for that long, and I felt really good about it that I was like, okay, we can we can go ahead and stop. It's still pulsing a little bit, but I got to, you know, eight to ten minutes of um, delayed cord uh, clamping, and I felt really, really good about that. We did not do a bath for the baby. Um, there's a lot of great research on not bathing the baby right away, um, allowing them to have that skin-to-skin time. He... Once we got him the you know the cord cut and everything, um, he latched right away. Was breastfeeding right away in the delivery room. We had and this is the other thing I love about this facility. They don't take your baby from you. They allow you to spend time with your baby as long as there's no problems. And there was there was no problem. There was no meconium. Um, my water broke right before I pushed. I was kind of hoping he would come out in call, <laughs> um, which is like in the sack because uh, I just always thought that was really cool. And I heard that. Um, to be the Dalai Lama, you have to come out in call. And so I was kind of hoping that that's how he would be, but no, the water broke like right before I started pushing. Um, but there was no meconium in the water. And so they were like, no, you know, you get your golden hour with the baby. They don't take, they don't take the baby. Don't wash the baby. And so I just, I, I appreciated that whole experience. Again, I didn't get the water birth that I really wanted, but um, my doula was there, kind of helped coach me through, you know, pushing him out. My husband was there. My daughter was at school. I mean, it literally couldn't have worked out better. I didn't have to be in the hospital for a long amount of time in labor, um, you know, kind of pushing away interventions, things like that. So I really was so happy with the way that it turned out. I really was so happy. And so, um, again, you know, I had told them I want to leave within 24 hours. They said, you know, as long as there's no jaundice or issues with the baby, fine. And so, um, you know, we did decline the vitamin K shot. I did decide to do drops. Um, that was a compromise with my husband. So Dr. Green mom, that's who I got my drops from as well as her protocol. So I think it's, you give them four drops within the first 24 hours of life. And then a week later, uh, don't quote me on this, but I think I have to give him drops again on Wednesday, a week later, uh, maybe one or two drops. I have to read the the protocol again. But you do that again for a number of weeks instead of the vitamin K shot. Now, my daughter was very jaundiced when she was born, and they had told me, you know, she is jaundiced because you are an O negative, and she has a RH positive blood type. Well, I already knew that James, my son, was RH positive. I already knew that because we did what's called a unity screen. Um, It's a non-invasive prenatal test, blood test, where they can actually separate out the baby's RH um, positive or negative so that you know if you're at risk for being sensitized, which is something that happens with O-negative women. Um, And it doesn't affect this pregnancy, but it affects subsequent pregnancies. So if there's any time during um, pregnancy, which is very rare, it does happen, but it's very rare, or during the birth process that my blood and his blood mixes, um, that will cause me to basically create antibodies against positive blood types. So if I was to get pregnant again, which is not totally off the table, it is something that, you know, my husband and I may do, I'm not sure. (laughs) 
<laughs> I've got like a less than a week old here, um, so don't quote me on anything. Um, but it, it, it can actually negatively impact uh, next pregnancies. It can cause miscarriage. It can cause your body to basically create antibodies to destroy the baby inside your belly. And so it is something to take seriously. That's why I did that um, non-invasive pregnancy test or a uh, prenatal test. Now, again, I decided not to do Rogam during my pregnancy. I was, I was getting pressure from the OBs about it, but the midwives were cool per usual with the practice I was with. Um, and my baby, he did turn out to be Coombs negative, which means uh, he was not affected. Our bloods did not mix in the womb and he's fine. And he's actually O positive. Um, my husband is a positive. My daughter is a positive. So long story short, they told me when my daughter was severely jaundice that, uh, it was because our blood had mixed. And I don't know about that (laughs) because my son was not jaundice at all. Um, but one of the side effects of the vitamin K shot, now again, this I'm not telling anybody what to do with this podcast episode. This is just my story. These are the interventions that I chose. So please don't feel like this is me telling anyone this is how you should do pregnancy, this is how you should do birth. These are just my personal choices. I hope that I can put that across. Um, but one of the major side effects of the vitamin K shot, which by the way, nobody ever asked me if I wanted to give that to my daughter. They just gave it to her. Um one of the side effects is jaundice. And so she was so severely jaundiced. We were in the hospital for like four days with her. Um, my son, no jaundice, also no vitamin K shot. So, you know, uh, we were able to go home early and they were great to us at that facility that we went to. Um, they did, I had requests on my birth plan, any tests that need to be performed need to be done in room. Um, if the baby needs to go anywhere, my husband has to go with the baby or I have to go with the baby. The baby is never to be alone. Um, call me someone who just doesn't trust, uh, authority or, (laughs) or the medical profession at all. (laughs) That's fine. I don't. Um, you guys probably already know that by listening to my podcast, but they honored that. And, you know, I'm really grateful my husband was kind of freaking out while we're driving to the hospital because we drove by like three other hospitals that, you know, <laughs> I could have delivered the baby out a lot quicker and they have a lot of great technology and, you know, facility for delivering babies. And he's like, are you sure we shouldn't just go there? You know, your practice can deliver there. And I was like, no, I really need us to go to this facility. And I'm glad that we did because again, they honored my birth plan. They took it seriously. Um, they let us go within 24 hours and they didn't push interventions on my son. They allowed us to be with him the whole time. They never took him away, never took him off to the nursery, nothing like that. He was with us the whole entire time. And those things were super, super important to me because again, what happened with my daughter, I was just, you know, I just was too trusting of the medical profession and I've paid for it. She's paid for it it's not even just me, it's her. And she's had a really hard life because of medical choices that were made that I was told were safe. And so, um, fool me once, (laughs) you know, I just, I have a very, um, you know, distrustful feeling about a lot of things medical wise. So that's really the birth story. And I have not talked a ton about my pregnancy. I've not talked a ton about everything that I went through kind of emotionally, 
after having many losses, after going through fertility treatments that failed, and then, you know, trying to do this naturally on a personal kind of one-to-one level with my audience, I plan on doing that more. It was kind of one of those things that I just wanted him to get here. I wanted him to get here safely. I wanted to just hold him before I was truly able to open up and talk with my audience about all these things. So a lot of times I just need to process things and, you know, putting yourself out there on the internet, especially about pregnancy, especially about fertility, childbirth, parenting, you get a lot of unsolicited advice. Some people I think are trying to be kind. Some other people, I don't know if they're just trying to prove a point (laughs) and comes off very rude and intrusive. So it is a a sensitive thing for me to share about, and that's why I'm doing this just on podcast only. This is not going to go out to my YouTube audience, just my podcast audience, and I will be sharing more and more about this process as, you know, we, as we go here, but I'm just so excited to celebrate James, my baby boy, being here healthy, happy, and I hear him in the background over there kind of starting to stir, so I'm going to end this recording And again, uh, I would love to get your feedback on possible names for the podcast. Again, I'm going to be changing the name of my platform from Carnivore Yogi, not because I hate the carnivore diet or anything like that. It's just that I want to encompass more than just food, as I really have been doing over the last year. I've really been trying to put forth a message that is a lot more than, than just diet, so I'm going to start making some changes to reflect that in the name of the podcast, in the name of my Instagram handle and those types of things. So open to suggestions. I would like to kind of leave the the name wellness in there somehow. Um, I've written down a million different ideas and nothing has stuck. So that's why I've kind of been sitting on this name change thing. Um, I know I probably will lose some people changing from Carnivore Yogi to Sarah Kleiner Wellness, but that's okay. I think I will get uh, more people and help more people with a little bit more of a broader name. And again, I'm very carnivore friendly, still think carnivore diet's awesome, <laughs> very supportive of people that want to do it, uh, but it's time for me to make a little shift and change the name. So, all right, guys, I'm going to get back to Babyland. I hope you have a really awesome and beautiful Friday, and thank you so much for listening to today's episode, and I'll talk with you again really soon. <laughs>